Hi, I'm Shashank Bhargav and you're listening to Three Things, the Indian Express news show. In this episode, we talk about the education budget being cut for the first time in five years. We also talk about China's attempts at vaccine diplomacy. But first, we talk about India and Sri Lanka. Back in 2019, India had signed an agreement with Sri Lanka. According to this agreement, India was to develop and operate the East Container Terminal at the Colombo port in the country's capital. This was to be in partnership with Japan. The idea was that Sri Lanka would build 51% of the terminal and India and Japan would build 49% of it. This agreement was signed under the previous government when Maitripala Sri Sena had been the president. But the Sri Lankan government changed last year with Gotabaya Rajapaksa becoming the new president. And now, with the new administration, Sri Lanka has gone back on its promise and has essentially cancelled that agreement. This is after nationwide protests took place against it. In this segment, we talked to Arun Janardhanan, who has been reporting the story for the Indian Express about what led to Sri Lanka going back on its promise. And he says that there was already talk about issues related to it when President Gotabaya Rajapaksa had been campaigning. During the last presidential campaigns itself, there were different opinions. The present Godabaya government, their manifesto during the election, promised that no national assets will be given to foreign nations or private third parties. So what happened now is, even if there were different opinions, President Godabaya was supposed to uh, stand by the agreement signed by his previous regime. Because it is not about a political decision only, but because it is also a government-to-government agreement. So usually the successors ideally will have to stand by the agreement between another country. So in this stage, there were a couple of strong resistance started emerging. First, it was uh, started from Colombo Port Trade Unions. So there were some 23 unions in Colombo port. They started opposing this particular agreement. They demanded Gautabaya government to cancel it. Arun explains that the reason why they opposed this agreement was because they were against privatization. Plus, he says that a number of very radical nationalist Buddhist groups in the country also took a stand against this agreement because they felt that Sri Lanka's national assets needed to be protected. With regard to Eastern Container Terminal, about 40% of work has been completed by Sri Lanka. The remaining portion will have to be now developed through this particular agreement. So the trade union's demand was that the Sri Lankan Ports Authority should develop it. They should continue the development project because the SLPA, the Sri Lankan Port Authority, has about $250 million in their reserve. So their demand, the specific demand was to use around $100 million from the reserve and develop it, complete development. Instead of giving a partially developed terminal system into the hands of a foreign country. He says that initially, President Gotabaya resisted the demands from the trade unions. But all that changed last week. 
last week what happened was more than 200 unions that includes you know different kind of unions from different walks of life and civil society groups and some political coalition parties and uh, some of the nationalist groups led by a uh, very very influential buddhist monk who actually voted gotabaya to power so all of them have joined together and they extended support to these port unions 23 port unions so this was actually heading to a kind of a nationwide strike in sri lanka making uh, president gotabaya almost unpopular making things really difficult for the present regime so this was the situation that forced them to take a decision even if they were a little reluctant reluctant because india is a crucial partner for sri lanka not only geopolitically but even trade wise like if we consider the colombo port sri lanka gets almost 70% of its business from india but the call to go back on the agreement arun says was done to protect their own national and political interest now after going back Sri Lanka has offered another deal to India as a replacement to the original one. It has offered that instead of the east, India could develop the west terminal of the port again in partnership with Japan. So the difference between the west and east terminals is that the east is partially developed by Sri Lanka already, while the west India has to or whoever wants to invest there they will have to start from the scratch. This is the actual situation now. So definitely India is upset because it was a high priority project for India. The main reason is that Sri Lanka is a country that is located in a very very significant position geopolitically and Sri Lanka is close to Pakistan. Sri Lanka is has lot of business obligations to China for uh, you know borrowing lot of money and uh, having developed lot of infrastructure in the country. Arun says that the other thing to note is that the reason the original ECT project was considered important for India was also because a Hong Kong based shipping company named China Merchants Port Holdings Company has a presence in the region. The company has developed the CICT, Colombo International Container Terminal. This terminal is very close to the ECT, is very popular, and the company has a 85% stake in it. which is comparatively a lot more stake than what india and japan were offered for the east terminal so this recently cancelled east terminal in which india and japan together had 49 while the cicit already that exists in colombo one of the busiest terminals in the colombo port in which china has 85% stake so now sri lanka is offering india wct the west container terminal Uh, in which they are offering 85%. So before making this offer, uh, I'm told that there were consultations, formal and informal consultations with investors. One of the main investor in the project from the Indian side is Adani Group. The Adani Group is India's largest private port operator. It now has the rights to operate 11 strategically located ports and terminals in the country. Back in 2011 it had the rights to operate just one port but now handles over a quarter of all cargo passing through the country's ports so adani seems to have had a better interest i mean 
Sri Lanka got a feedback that Adani may be accepting this uh, second offer or the compensatory offer because commercially it is better for them. Uh, there is a stake of 85%, but the challenge is obviously is that, you know, they have to start from the scratch. It is not like East Terminal where almost half of the work is complete. And while Adani seems to like the compensatory offer to develop the West Terminal, the Indian government doesn't seem too thrilled about it. Initially, it told Sri Lanka that it was bound by the original agreement, but hasn't said anything much about the new compensatory offer. And if we talk about this compensatory offer to develop the West Terminal, Arun says that while there are chances that even this might face opposition in Sri Lanka, for now though, the trade unions seem okay with it. When they had these negotiations, the Sri Lankan government had negotiations with trade unions who were protesting. And finally, when the government agreed to cancel this East Terminal project, the trade unions had given a written consent letter. Trade unions are okay with, you know, giving uh, the West Terminal for a private development program. So the Sri Lankan government's claim is that, you know, there is no room for such a problem for India, even if they accept it. In the meantime, senior officials from both sides hope that the two countries are able to resolve this problem soon. But if they can't, then their relationship could get impacted. And Arun says that in that case, chances are that Sri Lanka is the one that might be the more vulnerable one in the situation. Because there can be international isolation when there is a serious problem with India and Sri Lanka. What would naturally happen is the China will step in. And any problem between India and Sri Lanka means it will also catch the attention of US. So it can affect Sri Lanka at the business front. Maybe you know foreign investors can be stopped. Uh, people who do businesses from India or other countries can be stopped. And there can be kind of both economic and uh, international isolation. Plus, he says that the relations between the two countries can also be impacted because the Sri Lankan middle class, for many reasons, already doesn't trust India. In an interview earlier, President Gautabaya, before he was elected to power, he elaborated to a question about how Sri Lankans sometimes find India a little problematic. For the fact that, you know, how Indira Gandhi supported and trained LTT in India, that created a huge anti-India feeling, he said. And uh, the Sri Lankans feel there is an unnecessary influence by Indian governments in its internal affairs often. We know that when Mahinda Rajapaksa was defeated in 2015, there were reports, there were allegations that, you know, India played a role in it. So... There is a larger mistrust for many historical reasons, especially for Sri Lanka, which was a country, you know, its political history was so turbulent. They were in troubles, bloodshed, war, civil war in the last four or five decades. Last it was LTT. Before that, there were left radical movements and there were massive killings initiated by the government itself. So it was a turbulent history for Sri Lanka and that itself make the perceptions also problematic. And next, we talk about the budget for education. On Monday, when the union budget for 2021 was announced, among the sectors that faced a cut was also education. And this cut has come at a time when school dropouts and a general loss of learning is expected to increase due to the COVID-19 disruptions. To understand its details and the consequences it might have, 
our producer Joshua Thomas speaks to Ritika Chopra who covers education for the newspaper. Here's Joshua and Ritika. A recent article by Ritika Chopra in the Indian Express talks about how in Monday's budget announcements finance minister Nirmala Sitaraman has mentioned a substantial decrease in education spending for the coming year. So uh this is probably the first time in at least uh, when i analyze figures for the past years at least till 2017 18 the budget for education has been progressively increasing so this is the first time in 5 years that the budget for education has suffered a cut it's been slashed by 6% there's been a cut of uh, roughly 6000 crore I'm comparing the budget estimate of this year to the budget estimate last year like apples to apples. So basically last year there was roughly 99,000 crore that was allocated for the Ministry of Education and this year there's roughly uh, 93,000 crore that's been allocated to the Ministry of Education and of that the largest or the biggest cut has been taken by the school education department so of the 6000 crore 5000 crore has been taken by the department of school education and 1000 the department of higher education in higher education one of the things that ritika highlighted was regarding the higher education funding agency the hfa or hifa and in the budget announcements the cuts made to it have rendered it as she says defunct for all practical purposes Under higher education it's quite evident that the government no longer wants to run the higher education financing agency or hifa that's what it's kind of popularly known as this is something that was announced with much fanfare about 3 years ago in the budget itself this was supposed to revolutionize at least the government claimed that this would revolutionize uh, funding of infrastructure and expansion in higher education that institutions will not be limited by budgetary grants and they can in fact take loans of much larger amounts and maybe repay these loans back in 10 years time i mean of course even at that point a lot of apprehensions were expressed that you know uh, higher education institutions run and controlled by the government their major sources of revenue is fee so if you were to actually take these large amounts of loan how would you repay these amounts and there was this human cry over the fact that a lot of uh, i mean the academic community felt that this would actually lead to a hike in student fee and uh, the institutions themselves were a little unhappy with hifa and this was i remember expressed even by the iits because what had happened is that after hifa was announced in 2016 and incorporated in 2017 by 2018 the government stopped basically giving money to higher education institutions under the capital head and asked them to start borrowing from hifa and the institutions were uncomfortable with that they felt that they were being pushed to take these loans and they were actually a lot of them were worried about repaying these loans but coming to the point that given that this was touted as you know something that would radically change funding and this is something that would give this major sort of impetus to infrastructure expansion higher education this year surprisingly the government has allocated just 1 crore to it and this comes just months after the finance ministry expressed its unhappiness over how hifa was functioning you know hifa was supposed to basically get some equity from the government and then leverage that equity to get more money from the market the finance ministry said that's not happening 
and instead this hifa is further raising commercial loans and extending it to these institutions so i mean they were un- unhappy over its functioning so two years into that experiment the government has basically choked off all the funding meant for hifa from 2100 crore allocated last year this year it's just 1 crore and move back to giving budgetary grants for infrastructure development to all the institutions so this time around you actually see grants being given to institutions under the capital head as opposed to the budgets for the last 2 years where you you know there's there's a blank against budget allocation under the capital head now as ritika mentioned before school education has taken the biggest hit with spending down 5000 crore but this figure is the overall cut with funds being allocated and reallocated some schemes have suffered far bigger hits while others have had their budgets increased the bits that stand out is that the samagra shiksha abhiyan which is essentially the scheme that funds school education across the country the allocation for that the government's proposed spending on that scheme has come down significantly this to me is surprising given that at least we were expecting that the pandemic you know has dealt sort of a body blow to education you know school edu- institutions have been closed for at least 6 months if not more of course we don't have accurate data to back this up but experts are saying and going by the experience of the ebola epidemic in africa i mean that you know the marginalized kids they're bound to drop out kids from poor backgrounds may not come back to school so one was hoping for an increase in expenditure but but interestingly samagra shiksha abhiyan which funds school education that has suffered a pretty big cut if i'm not wrong of about 6000 crore the midday meal scheme actually is one scheme uh, which frankly the government did actually do pretty well last year it increased its allocation by over 1500 crore in the revised estimates and this time around if i were to compare the budget estimate again of last year to this year they have increased their allocation of uh, by roughly 500 crore the allocation for kendra vidyalayas and navodaya vidyalayas these are central schools run by the central government the allocation for these two kinds of schools has also gone up but the samagra shiksha abhiyan has has suffered a major major cut of about 6000 crore now all these cuts come in the year that the ministry of education will start implementing the new national education policy or nep Among the initiatives announced as part of the first year of NEP implementation was also setting up the Academic Bank of Credit. In this repository, students' academic credits will be stored and these credits are calculated on the basis of classwork and tutorials. An allocation of rupees 50 crore has been made for this purpose. But it has to be said, the NEP is, as it says, a policy. it is a vision the government hopes to achieve and in fact the nep strongly advocates increasing government expenditure on education but at the same time the finance minister has announced huge cuts in education spending and with the pandemic causing huge loss of education for so many students what do these cuts mean for schools in these times there was an expectation of enhanced expenditure not just because the nep uh, the new education policy says so that the government expenditure on education should increase but also primarily because the last one year has been pretty tough on the education sector across the world this is not something that's unique to india 
schools across the world have been closed as far as india is concerned schools have been closed for at least 6 months and if not more and now that they have started reopening a lot is being expected out of schools and teachers you expect schools to sanitize their premises often uh, you expect them to source sanitizers teachers will most probably end up working much more than they did under normal circumstances because students will be coming in different batches so they may just end up teaching that same lesson twice to two batches of the same class which is why you know institutions now need enhanced allocation there was this expectation it didn't happen aside from that you know going by past experiences say going by the experience of africa during the ebola epidemic experience shows that you know prolonged school closures lead to an increase in school dropout rates because kids from marginalized sections of the society may get forced into child labor again or may just be forced to kind of drop out because they have to help out with the family because families have you know suffered some sort of income loss during isolation quarantine period or just because they've lost a job so there probably again one was expecting maybe an enhanced allocation so that you know there is a targeted approach to ensure that uh, there is a re-enrollment campaign for kids who had maybe fallen through the cracks the point i'm trying to make is that you know since so much is being expected out of teachers and out of schools as far as recovering learning loss is concerned all of this requires training all of this requires resources this requires funds and money and as far as the budget speech is concerned um that didn't have anything on that front it didn't speak of learning loss it didn't really speak of school closures per se and the consequences of that it didn't speak of any targeted measures to recover the learning that's been lost it does speak of of measures that need to be taken as part of the implementation uh, of the new education policy but there is frankly nothing as far as the pandemic response is concerned and pandemic response in terms of the education sector and when i looked at the fine print in the sense when i looked at the detailed budget for the ministry of education even there under different heads one didn't at least i couldn't see anything which one could directly uh, correlate to school closures or the pandemic only time will tell if the ministry of education tries to move funds around from one head to another maybe i don't know reallocate some fund from here to there to maybe address these issues arising out of prolonged school closures but as of now there has been no special announcement or any special allocation on how the government plans to alleviate the problems that stem from prolonged school closures on account of the pandemic And in the end we talk about China. Yesterday, China said it would provide 10 million doses of COVID-19 vaccine to the global Covax initiative. Covax is a global initiative which aims at ensuring that middle and lower income countries get timely access to coronavirus vaccines. Chinese officials said that the country is currently conducting field trials for 16 vaccines and has so far granted conditional approval to one of its candidates named Sinopharm. Though China has already begun supplying Sinopharm to a number of countries including Pakistan. This announcement to provide vaccines to Covax also comes at a time when India has already begun providing vaccines to a number of countries and when China seeks to step up its vaccine diplomacy. 
Some experts believe that just like China has used the Belt and Road Initiative for its economic and military advantage, it is now planning to use vaccines for similar geostrategic advantage. Like Beijing had announced that it would supply 3 lakh vaccines to Sri Lanka after New Delhi dispatched 5 lakh doses to the country. China has also offered its vaccine supplies to Nepal, Maldives and Brazil, which have already received the first batch of supplies from India. As the largest global supplier of drugs and producer of 60% of the world's vaccines, India is sometimes referred to as the pharmacy of the world. You are listening to Three Things by the Indian Express. Today's show was written and produced by me, Shashank Bhargav, and as always, was edited and mixed by our producer Joshua Thomas. If you like this show, then you can subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts. You can also recommend the show to someone you think will like it. Share it with a friend or someone in your family. It's the best way for people to get to know about us. You can also tweet us at Express Audio and write to us at podcast at IndianExpress dot com. 